This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Failure, disappointment, and embarrassment. These are the words that Nathan Gonzalez, CQ Roll Call's elections analyst, describe what would happen if House Republicans do not reclaim the majority in 2022. We're going to unwrap some of Nathan's thoughts about that, talk about the history of the midterm elections and how it tends to favor the party who is not in the White House, and a few other things like, say, the Liz Cheney-Elise Stefanik standoff in House Republican leadership ranks and what it might mean for 2022 with Nathan today on Political Theater. Nathan, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Yes. Well, you're just doing well? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, there's the, I don't think we have enough time for me to get into to everything that's going on. But uh, yeah, we're, we're here and, and we're talking about politics, so things are good. Good, yeah. I mean, I, and I guess uh, saying you're well is better than saying you're fine. I always like to joke that saying you're fine is, that's using a four-letter word that starts with F to describe things. You never want to hear that. How was dinner? Fine. <laughs> Do you like your gift? Fine. How's the? How are the electoral prospects going for your campaign? Fine. <laughs> a very preteen way of, of looking at life. Right. So uh, your your analysis of uh, that I, I was reading from uh, a column that you wrote for uh, for roll call. Uh, but uh, let, let's get into that a little bit about where uh, where we are in terms of the 2022 midterm elections. I know some people will be thinking, must they? Can't we just focus on what's going right now? Uh, isn't it infrastructure week? Uh, th- that kind of stuff. But let's let's unpack that because I mean, whether we like it or not, or whether other people like it or not, we are in uh, an election cycle. We're always in an election cycle, um, and you know the the Democrats have a very small uh, uh, majority in in the House after having what they even they regard as a disappointing election night in 2020. Uh, 2020 uh, it was only a few months ago, uh, and you you think that they are fairly well poised. Uh, to retake the majority in 2022. I think usually in an an election cycle, when a party is in the minority, the burden of proof is on them to to prove that how they're going to get back to the majority. I think that's usually how every election cycle starts. I think this 2022 cycle is unique though. Um, First, because of the narrow majority uh, that you talked about that Democrats have, uh, Republicans need a net gain of just five seats. Then when you add on two big components, um, first of all, this being a midterm election, when we look at the historical trends of midterm elections, um, there's lots of ways to dice it. Uh, my colleague, Jacob Rubashkin, uh, he went back and looked at the last uh, 25 midterm elections and the average seat loss for the president's party is 30 seats, 30 seats. And we're both, so with President Biden in office, Democrats are, you know, historically set up to lose 30 seats. Republicans only need five. Uh, then when you add on the extra layer of redistricting, uh, where Republicans are in control of the drawing process in, in states with more seats, uh, including the four biggest states that are the four key states that we're watching of Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, and Florida, 
And, uh, you know, looking at listening and reading my, my colleague, uh, my friend and colleague, uh, David Wasserman of the Cook Political Report, Republicans could gain eight seats just from the redistricting process alone. So we're reaching 38 to 40 seats that Republicans should, quote, with those cheesy air quotes, get when they only need five. And so that's why I think it's it's really, uh, you know, Republicans should be embarrassed or disappointed or have a sense of failure if they're not able to pull this off. Right. And, you know, I, I must I must admit, I mean, one of the reasons I, I wanted to open with that uh, is, is that it just reminded me of one of my favorite movies uh, in the opening monologue to the Royal Tenenbaums, you know, when uh, they're talking about <laughs> when Alec Baldwin's voiceover is going through that, uh, you know, the history of the Tenenbaums has been one of failure, da 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 da. Uh, so it, it, it is striking, but it also, it brings up um, that, again, as you said, history and redistricting tend to favor, uh, in, in this case, the Republicans because they're the minority party and also they control uh, a lot of the decisions about what seats, uh, how seats are going to be arranged after the after reapportionment. A couple of things, though, that we we should talk about, though, is that we are we are kind of anomalous uh, in in terms of our elections. Uh, you know, it has become way more partisan. Uh, it has become more straight ticket, party line voting, um, and Right now, we're seeing you know a little bit of a of a strange uh, set of circumstances with former President Donald Trump continuing to kind of insert himself into the process, even though uh, you would think most of the time when a president loses, uh, mo- most presidents don't lose a reelection bid. Uh, for one, uh, the last time before uh, Trump was uh, President uh, George H. W. Bush, uh, so so it's it's not that doesn't happen that often, and also he continues to exert control over the party. Uh, it, in ways that are, uh, you know, somewhat un, unforeseen to this point, uh, and and you get into some of the you you caveat you know some of your uh, some of your analysis with that. Let's talk about Trump and his presence over the midterms. Yeah, and I, I want to be clear: this is not me guaranteeing or projecting or predicting Republican control. It's just looking at the the realities and, and the history of midterms, but. Typically, why midterms are rough on the president's party is because we get two years into two or six years into a presidency and voters are not excited about the direction of the country and they can't take it out on the president because he's not on the ballot. So they they voice that disapproval against his party. And um, and so it's a it's kind of a, a referendum on the president, the, the midterm elections where President Trump makes things more complicated this cycle is because he keeps in, he wants to be a part of the conversation. He wants to be in the spotlight. And I, I think he's going to cloud that a little bit and make this more more of a choice than a typical midterm election. So what are the ramifications for that? I think it could keep Democratic voters uh, more energized because they even though he has been defeated, uh, he still seems like a threat and it could keep the Democratic base up. Um, it also could help Republicans in a way that they have struggled to turn out the Trump coalition when he's not on the ballot. So if he's a part of the conversation and involved, maybe that will turn out voters who think Republicans and Democrats in Washington, it's all part of the swamp. Uh, but he, it just makes <laughs> President Trump makes everything complicated, uh, including projecting, you know, using historical trends to project onto a future midterm. 
Now, a couple of the uh, times when it did not go the minority party's way or the party who was not in control of the White House, uh, you, you, you also, you know, discuss. And one of them is in 1998, um, the, uh, you know, President Bill Clinton was, was in the White House, a uh, Democrat. Republicans controlled both the House and the Senate. And, uh, the, the Republicans, they, they were feeling very good, uh, about their prospects in the 1998, uh, midterm election. This was Clinton's sixth year in office, as you stated, and they lost seats. And this eventually led to Newt Gingrich, uh, resigning his position as speaker and, and a little bit of tumult, uh, in, in the Republican party. And that was largely because of something that, you know, uh, we had not, you know, like seen a lot of, and that was an impeachment. Right. And, and that's why citing the averages of, of the, of the midterms, it can be a little deceiving because of these two instances, you talked about 1998 and then also 2002, uh, when Republicans uh, didn't lose seats uh, with President George W. Bush in office, a little bit of post uh, 9-11, a rally around the flag effect. He was mm-hmm. more popular than a, a typical president in a midterm. And so, you know, the the what if for 2022 is what if we have extenuating circumstances or, or uh, you know, that this is just a fundamentally different type of election. And that being we are coming out of a pandemic um, the economy is stronger. We're healthier physically as a country, socially as a country. And so is it just a structurally different midterm election? Let's say it is. Then we still have that redistricting piece where Republicans are at least, you know, have a, the early advantage in drawing more districts, being in charge of more lines, you know, that could be ultimately what it's their trump card, Jason, their trump card. Everyone, get I, I, I saw what you just did there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's it's the it's the multiple things working in Republicans' favor this cycle. And um, one one thing I I did want to get into because I feel like this is a part of the conversation and, and it might have some ramifications on on the midterm and it gets to this this I you know this sort of concept that like the parties are a little different uh, than than they have typically been even four years ago or or six years ago and that's that. Uh, particularly with Republicans, the policy is not what they're talking about. And it's not that, you know, people get super psyched about, you know, talking about regulations or tax cuts or so forth. Um, you know, like their 10 point plans, the contract with America, th- those sort of things. But the, you know, the Republicans really have made a lot of their platform, if you will, about your support of Donald Trump and whether you support what he says about the 2020 election being fraudulent um, and, and and things like that. And I, I feel like we're seeing this unfold before us in that Liz Cheney, uh, the daughter of Vice President uh, Dick Cheney, uh, the num- she's the number three uh, Republican in House leadership. She's from Wyoming, not exactly a bastion of liberal causes. Um, and you know, she is a straight down the line conservative, like party loyalty scores, including to, uh, you know, President Trump and his policies, you know, in the nineties. Um, she, she refuses to, you know, acknowledge that she refuses to kind of go along with what Trump is saying about the election. She says this is dangerous. It undermines democracy and the rule of law. 
and and has held him to account. She voted to impeach him uh, earlier this year. Uh, you know, she's probably going to be voted out of office. You know, if if the the signs are, are not out of office, but out of her leadership position when the House returns uh, to session next week, and she's and she is likely to be she's being challenged and likely to be replaced by Elise Stefanik, who is a former moderate, if you will, from upstate New York, almost a classic. New York, uh, moderate Republican from upstate from the Adirondacks, uh, who's, you know, voted against the president's policies, uh, you know, like to, to, with startling consistency. She wanted to stay in the Paris Accord, uh, in favor of LGBTQ rights and so forth. But she loves her some Trump, you know, when, when she's talking, she's defended him, you know, with during impeachment. Um, is that, does that have the potential to, um, you know, sort of, uh, push away people who might be, you know, Republican leaning or Republicans. I think it's both an inside, a, a pretty inside baseball or inside the Beltway fight, but it is indicative of the the change in the Republican Party. And I, and I do think that the the image of the Republican Party or the continued loyalty toward President Trump from Republicans is a way to keep the base rallied. But it's really unclear whether it is a persuadable whether it's going to persuade voters in the middle. And that's right. part of what the, the challenge is going to be. Um, you know, I haven't been right on everything over the years, Jason, but years ago, you could see that the, that the Republican Party had become a following of a person rather than uh, a set of issues or an ideology. I, I went, you mentioned the party unity scores. I went and looked at um, some specific conservative groups, or at least groups that we've considered conservative for many years and matched up the their scores. Let's take the Club for Growth, for example, the anti-tax group. Lifetime score, uh, Cheney, 65%. Stefanik, 35%. American Conservative Union, Cheney, 78%. Stefanik, 44%. Heritage Action, um, Cheney, 98%, Stefanik, 84%. And those are lifetime scores. And just for this Congress, I looked at the Family Research Council, regarded as a fairly con- socially conservative group, Cheney, 100%, Stefanik, 89%. And <laughs> I'm just like, what, you know, and that, to me, it's clear, though, that this is no longer about issues. This right. is about President Trump and, and what you say, you know, specifically. And um, this is... I think the the question, there's the leadership question. We'll see with uh, Cheney's actual primary, which won't happen until next year, uh, what happens. You know, it's not a great position right now to be viewed as anti-Trump in a Republican primary. But um, this is evidence of something, a uh, transformation that has been happening over over multiple years in the Republican Party. And, and one thing that uh, you, you mentioned, uh, your your friend and rival, uh, Dave Wasserman, uh, the, the jet to your shark, if you will, uh, <laughs> in the Inside Elections Cook Political Report uh, gang warfare. Um, uh, Dave was, was talking about, you know, how, you know, again, Democrats are marginally in charge of uh, the redistricting process in New York. New York is going to lose a seat. Uh, as part of reapportionment, and you know, amid speculation that they could go after Stefanik and and carve up her district and make it more democratic or make it more of a um, you know competitive place. Now, g- g- granted, you know, this sounds like conventional wisdom, right? I mean, the the district voted for Obama in 2012, uh, and then it voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020. She says she's just you know um, going with what her district wants. Uh, but Dave Wasserman, you know, pointed out that like this could, um, w- 
there's less incentive for them to carve up her district and try to punish her because what they could do is they could make it more Republican and they could shore up some of their more vulnerable, uh, you know, Democratic colleagues in the state. And I thought, you know, that is just one, that's just one chess piece in the 435 that we're going to see in redistricting. But what, you know, I mean, this could, uh, regardless of how moderate or, um, you know, off the, you know, the, the, in the off the beaten Republican path Stefanik has been on, you know, Republican political ideology for the last few years. If she gets a more Republican district, she probably will become more Republican herself, uh, as they sort of shore up, uh, you know, Antonio Delgado, you know, in, in the neighboring yeah. district, right? I mean, right now there is no, there is no punishment for Republicans who go to Trump, right? I mean, I mean, there's really, there are some Republicans, more moderate members who lost, um, but if you're in a Republican district, you know, what, what is, what are the consequences for being too pro-Trump? I, I don't think there really, there really are any. And, and, and Dave's right that there are easier ways for, for Democrats to get rid of a Republican district, particularly with Congressman Tom Reed not running for reelection. You could kind of dissolve his Southern tier 23rd district into the, into sort of the neighboring, into, into the neighboring districts. But uh, I, I want to point out one thing though about um, Cheney that I, that I forgot is that Republicans are, are kind of walking around talking about how she is an impediment to them winning the majority. Like they have to oust the Republican conference chairwoman who no one really, you know, no, a normal person does not know who that is, but somehow she's preventing them from getting the majority in 22. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, for all the reasons that we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes, you know, if Republicans don't win the majority, it's not because, you know, it wouldn't be because Liz Cheney is in the number three leadership post. Uh, but, you know, Repub- Republicans are just finding excuses to make a, a move that, that they want to make already in their head. I mean, it could be also about fundraising, right? I mean, like some of the fundraising tactics have shifted for a lot of Republicans. I mean, I'm guessing Liz Cheney still raises a lot of money from people affiliated with the Chamber of Commerce uh, and the American Conservative Union. uh, Whereas, you know, like maybe some some Republicans who think that they need to look to the grassroots are thinking like, oh, I'm going to get my money from smaller donors, people who are fired up, who are not affiliated with corporations. And maybe that's yeah, but, but the bigger, that's the kind of were, fig leaf that they use, you know, well, to get rid of Cheney. If they were worried about fundraising, then they should have been more upset when President Trump was um, issuing cease and desist letters to the NRCC and the NRSC saying, you cannot use my likeness or any mention of my name in fundraising. That is a far greater threat to fundraising than what, you know, Liz Cheney, what Liz Cheney does or does not do. But of course, they're not going to, no one wants to cross President Trump because, you know, that's, that's the ultimate sin right now in the party. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder, you know, the, we can, I feel like every day we see some kind of coverage or some sort of social media post about people trekking down to Mar-a-Lago, you know, to sort of kiss the ring uh, or raise money or things like that. And that, that has the potential to look a little weird unless of course you're, you're, you're counting on your voters just seeing, you know, Trump as being sort of a president in exile, like his own sort of, uh, you know, like like Napoleon down there in in uh, in in Florida. I mean, is that is there a risk though that they're just this? They they look at they come across as just sort of the party of like saying no and no to everything but Trump. The short answer is yes. There there's risk there, but 
We're in this unique cycle. Normally, I would say that a party that wants to be in power has to have both the base and the middle. It's not this either or proposition. But in this 2022 midterm elections, if Republicans draw enough Republican districts, they might not have to persuade very many moderate voters. Mm-hmm. Um, they, if, they may just have to win Republican districts and that gets them over the line. Uh, that doesn't tell us much about 2024 when I still believe to win a presidential race, you have to have a combination of an excited, uh, excited base and independent voters. But in this very short term, it's possible that the new congressional maps are drawn in a way that Republicans have to have very limited crossover appeal and thus going to Mar-a-Lago or being with Trump is not as much of a liability. Well, Nathan, thanks for walking us through this. Um, I look forward to uh, further allusions to Wes Anderson movies uh, in your political uh, analysis uh, as we look at how 2022 unfolds. And we're going to get more of a look at it next week uh, when we see this Republican leadership uh, challenge uh, play out. And um, I, uh, I, I look forward to keeping tabs on it with you. It's always an election. There's no off year anymore. (laughs) People are already running, even though they don't even know what their districts are going to look like. People are running. Yep. It's the winter meetings. All right. Thanks a lot, Nathan. No problem.